Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. All right, well, hey, we are in our series through the book of Romans, and today we land in Romans chapter 5, which intersects beautifully with this Christmas story, the Christmas narrative, what took place that first, first Christmas. And here's what Luke's gospel uh, records. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Today we're going to learn from Romans chapter 5, what is that good news that's caused for great joy that's available not for some people, but it's available for for all people. We're going to look primarily at at verse 2 of Romans chapter 5, but we're going to pick it up in Romans 5 and verse 1 where we left off last week. Romans 5, 1 says this, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, this is a, a, a big word, justified, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been looking at this word justification. What does it mean to be justified? Paul's been unpacking this this for us from Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, now again in Romans chapter 5. And justification is vital, vital for you and I to understand if we're going to be strong in the Lord, if we're going to have a strong faith, we're going to be anchored into all the good things that God has for us. Really, justification is Christianity 101. And the question, it answers the question, how do we have right standing with God? How can we have a real relationship with the creator of the universe? How is that possible? And the short answer is justification. Here's the definition that we've been building off of for the past few weeks. And this is the definition of justification. Justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sins. But he doesn't just forgive us. Here's what he he does on top of that. He he assigns to us now uh, the righteousness of Christ when through faith we believe. So forgiveness of sins, sin removed as far as the east is from the west. Like that's good news. If you've ever done something that you really regret, you've done something you know is not only offensive to you, but you know it's offensive to a holy God. The good news of justification is that in the moment you're justified, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. But that's not all. Like there's more. He assigns to you. He clothes you in not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. How good is that? All that's yours. How? Through faith. Whenever you believe the good news. And you might be saying, well, Tim, you just talked to us about that last week. Uh, you've been talking about that for the past. Tim, we, we've seen this. We've memorized this. And I would say, yes, that's awesome. Uh, because the more I teach this, the more I realize the words of Martin Luther are so true. And Martin Luther said this, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget. <laughs> right? <clears throat> I, know, I know you've seen this justification by faith. My question is, how is it applying to your daily life? Is it sunk into your minds? This is how I have right standing with God. Is it, is it sunk into your conscience, 
So, because if it's if not, every time we make a mistake, the enemy will beat us up at every turn. We'll question: Am I right with God? Am I am I really saved? Am I? Do I have right? I don't know. How do I have right standing? Well, justification answers that question, which is why it's so vital for us to understand. So today, Paul gives us three results of justification. There's many we could talk about, but but in Romans chapter one through two, or Romans chapter five, verses one through two, Paul gives us three, three game-changing truths of what justification is and what results from it. Let's read it together again. Romans five, verse one through two says this, therefore, uh, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's the three truths. Here's the first one. The first is, if you're taking notes, this is where your notes begin. Uh, the first result of justification is peace with God. You and I can have peace with God. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. Yeah, but if you missed it, you can rewind, uh, go on to our, our podcast, YouTube channel, website, whatever, and, and get that message. But, but the good news is you can have peace. It, it literally means like the war between you and God is over. Uh, there's two types of people on the planet today. Those who are under God's grace and those who are under God's wrath. And we unpacked this last week. There's a lot of verses that we could look at that, that talk about how before you put your faith in Jesus, you're actually enemies of God. And God's wrath rests on, on those people currently, present tense. But the good news of the gospel is, the good news of Christmas, because Jesus came, the, the good news, the reason we give presents, because God's given us the ultimate present. And the ultimate present is that now you can have peace with God. The war is over. But the good news is it's not only is the war over, not only is God's wrath removed from your life, but he changes our status. Check this out. John 1 verse 12. To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, check this out. He gave the right to become children of God. Removed from wrath, now given a status as a child, a son, a daughter of God. When you're justified, you are, you're at peace. You're at peace with God. The war is over, but there's more. The second result of justification is that now you have access to grace. Access to grace. Romans 5, verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What does that mean? We've obtained access. It's kind of like, I don't know, any Warriors fans in the house? Any San Francisco, Golden, Golden State Warriors? Yeah, okay. 12 of us. So if the 12 of us were to get Golden State Warriors tickets, uh, because we're fans, we love the Warriors, we'd love to go see a game. But, but if you're a fan, you know it's hard to get access. Uh, because one, the tickets are super expensive. Uh, second, there's a limited supply. And third, the Warriors are, are pretty awesome, so everyone wants to go. So, so not everyone in the Bay Area gets access to go to a Golden State Warriors game. But check this out. If you have a friend who says, hey, Greg, I know you're a Warriors fan. I, therefore, I, this Christmas, I want to give you tickets to a Golden State Warriors game. The moment Greg receives those tickets, he has access. Now, Greg could say, I don't really want to go to the Warriors game because my wife just baked cookies and I'm going to stay home and eat cookies because <laughs> Jamie's cookies are so delicious. But... But he has access. Whether he goes or not, he's been granted access. And what Paul is teaching us is that, that when we put our faith in Jesus, we've gained access to a place that a lot of people can't go. You have access. Whether you go there or not, you've obtained access by faith into this grace 
in which we now stand. How do we get access? Here's what Jesus said, John 14, 6. Jesus answered them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gains access. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's what takes place, the moment of justification. It's like, it's like Jesus takes you by the hand to the Father and says, says, Father, I want to introduce you to Tim. Tim just put his faith in you. He, he believes in, in what I did for him on the cross, that on the cross I, I paid the penalty for his sin, past, present, and future. And Tim believes that I didn't just pay for his sins on the cross. He believes I rose again. And because of that, that father, his sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Father, I've clothed him in my own righteousness. Now, Father, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to treat him just like you treat me. I'm asking you to give him all the access that I have. And the father's glad to give it to you. You've been granted access. You've received an introduction to the father. You have an advocate His name is Jesus. You have have a a champion in your corner, excited to champion your cause. You've been given access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's amazing. And I'm just just asking, is that the way you perceive God? Do, do, Do you see yourself that way? It's almost like in one sense we were beggars outside of the castle and we could just look through the bars into the warmth of the indoors, and we saw the spread, we saw the feast, we saw the party, but we were cold and and outside beggars just saying, help us. But whenever you put your faith in Jesus, your status changes. Not only do you get a seat at the table, but you get a change of status. Now you're no longer a beggar at the table. Now you're sons, you're daughters of God, and you're getting access, you get, you get, get treatment, you get the privilege of all the good things that Jesus has access to. That's what Paul is teaching us. Verse 2a, through him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What what does that mean? We've obtained access into this this grace. What's this grace? What's this grace that you currently are standing in? What's this grace that that now we, we, we have access to? There's a few definitions we could look at. I've given you three in your notes. The first is this. Uh, grace could be translated or defined as undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. When, when I talk to a lot of people they, they, and we talk about their right standing with God, they say, yeah, that's awesome. That's true for Chris. But Tim, if you knew what I did, I wouldn't have, I, I, I don't deserve that. And I want to say that's the point. That's what grace is. It's undeserved favor. It's grace. So Paul's saying we've obtained access into this, this, this posture of undeserved favor with God. A, a second definition, preferential treatment. You, you've obtained access before God with preferential treatment. Uh, if you're a parent in the room, uh, let me ask you, do you treat all kids in the world the way you treat your kids? No. You treat your kids very differently. They're your kids. You're not worried if the kid down the street brushes teeth before bed. You're worried if your kid did, right? When it comes to, to Christmas, you're not so concerned. I mean, sure, we want every kid to have an awesome Christmas, but you're not like looking at the list and trying to cipher what they wrote. Like, it's your kid. Preferential treatment, because it's your kid. Now think about this. You're a child of God. What does it mean to stand in this grace that we now have? Now we have preferential treatment, one thing I say to myself every day, I have this, this list of sayings, affirmations that I go through. And one thing that I say to myself every day is, is with, just as I would do anything to help my kids, I know my heavenly father's working even more diligently and effectively on my behalf, whether I see it or not. Why? 
because I'm his kid. I've gotten preferential treatment, therefore I'm looking for the hand of my father at every turn in my life, knowing he's got good things in store for me. He's directing my steps where? I don't know, but good places, because he's a good God. And I've received preferential treatment. Paul's saying, hey, we've obtained access to this preferential treatment. We now stand in it. Third definition, excessive kindness. We've obtained access by faith into God's excessive kindness in which we now stand. God is excessively kind towards you, right? He, he does exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever dream, ask, or imagine, right? Ephesians 3, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 3. Like he's, he's excessively kind. And so what, what's this big deal? Why is Paul so excited about that, that through him, through Jesus, because of Christmas, now we've obtained access by faith into his preferential treatment? In God's undeserved favor, we now stand before him with God's excessive kindness in our corner. And Paul is fired up about this. This is amazing. Notice this access doesn't just come and go. It's not based on how will I perform today, whether I have access with, with God's presence tomorrow. No, it's, he says it's, it's this, we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we, we stand it's not fleeting. It's not coming and going. It's not based on how will I perform today? Will I have will I be granted access tomorrow? No, I stand in his grace. I've get, gotten access into his preferential treatment. We stand in it. That's why we see this over and over throughout the New Testament. Check this out. Ephesians 3 verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, what does that result in? We can now boldly and confidently come into the presence of God. Not based on what you've done, but based on everything that Jesus has done. You've been justified. Hebrews 4.16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive mercy. Now, what's, what's mercy? What's that word mean, mercy? Uh, mercy is withholding from you what you rightfully deserve. I don't know if you, you know that. I know what I deserve. I, I know I deserve wrath. And I'm thankful that God doesn't treat me like our sins deserve. He withholds from me some things. And I'm grateful for that. But not only does he withhold from me some things, and we, we will find grace. Now, this is, this is giving you what you don't deserve. You, you don't deserve uh, preferential treatment. I don't deserve his, his excessive kindness, but he gives it to me anyway. Mercy is withholding from me what I rightfully deserve. Grace is given to me what I don't deserve. And here's what he says, there we'll receive mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. I love the message paraphrase. He says, let us walk right up to him and get, the, get, get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Implied here is, is God desires to be merciful towards you. God desires today, whatever you're dealing with, he desires to step in and give you help. But here's what we got to do. We got to come boldly to the throne of grace. We got to spend time in his presence and say, Father, here's what I'm dealing with. God, I know you've showed up in my past. I'm thankful for what you did back there. I've seen your hand at work here. And now, God, here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you step in? Would you help me? Hey, listen, accept the mercy, accept the help. He wants to give it to you. That's good news. You've gained access into this grace in which we now stand. Why have we obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What's the result of that justification? You have peace with God. You have access to grace. And third, result of justification is the hope of glory. You have hope of glory. 
Romans 5.2, through him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Check this out. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This word rejoice in our English, it falls a little bit short of the original, uh, uh, original meaning. It could literally be translated. Some of your Bibles translate this as boast, boast. Let's, let's boast in the hope of the glory of God. It could be translated celebrate. It could be translated as glorying in the hope of, of the glory of God. Exalting, like making big what God has, has done. It's more of the image of a touchdown celebration than a polite Christmas carol. Uh, and you've experienced this, right? Uh, how many of you have experienced someone who, like they, they've experienced for you ladies, maybe that new face cream. And this face cream's amazing, Right? And they want to talk to you about it. So let me just tell you about this face cream. I put this on. I wore this mask last night. And in two minutes, all the wrinkles in my face went away. It's amazing. You got to get it. Have you been around people like this? They want to give you this. Or like you get this, your buddy's got some new supplements. And he's in the gym. He's hitting the gym. And like, man, within two hours, like you'll have a six pack. You just take these supplements. It's amazing. It's expensive, sure. But it's totally worth it. And they glory in it, right? Or, or like for us 49ers fans, right? Uh, oh, yeah, take out Jimmy G. Our third string quarterback comes in. We still get the W, right? Like, amazing. Our team's awesome, right? It's glory in it. It's boasting in it. Let me talk to you about what I'm passionate about. That's what Paul's saying here. We rejoice. We celebrate. We go on and on and on and on about what? Our hope in the glory of God. We in, enthusiastically celebrate it. We rejoice in hope. And, and again, in our, we, we think of hope. We, we could, in our English culture, we could almost use wish interchangeably here. Like we, we hope it's a white Christmas. We hope Santa brings us whatever we want. Uh, but, but it could almost be interchangeably or used interchangeably with the word wish. Uh, we rejoice in the wish of the hope of the glory of God, which falls so short of what Paul's talking about here. In the New Testament, hope isn't wishful thinking. It's not just an optimistic perspective. It's confident assurance. There's certainty. I have certainty about this. It just hasn't come to fruition yet. I know that I know that I know this is true. It just hasn't been materialized yet. That's hope in the biblical sense. We rejoice with confident assurance in the glory of God. What does that even mean for us and how do we apply it? I was actually debating whether to make this two messages, uh, but, but sit tight. We're going to get out of here shortly. Here comes the second message. Um, <laughs> two, two thoughts when it comes to the glory of God, because there's so much we could talk about, right? When it comes to the God's glory, like, wow, like, where do we begin? Here's the first, first point, though. We hope, what do we hope for? We hope looking forward to seeing the glory of God, to seeing it, to, to witnessing it with our own eyes. And here, here's what's true. Uh, a true mark of like a, a believer is like they've tasted some of God's glory and they just want more of it in their life. I've had a taste, I've got a glimpse of it and God, I just want more of your presence in my life. Uh, not to be trite or to minimize this truth, but I don't know if you've ever been to Baskin Robbins, uh, Baskin Robbins fans, ice cream fans. If you go to Baskin Robbins, they'll give you this cute little pink spoon that's like the size of my pinky and you can ask for any flavor and they'll give you a sample. And it's awesome. And their hope is that you taste that one that's so delicious. And you can't just take a little pink spoonful, but you say, I need more of this in my life. I'll take two scoops, please. Right? That's the idea here, that, that, that we get a little taste of God's glory. And we just, want, we just need more of it in our life. I love 
Moses and the, the story of Moses, and we spent this summer going through the book of Exodus and examining the life of Moses, but Moses was a man who got a taste of the glory of God. Moses was a man watching sheep, and all of a sudden this bush was on fire, and a voice was speaking to him through a burning bush, and God was calling him saying, hey, you know the world's most powerful nation. I'm asking you to go set my people free from that nation. And Moses is like, I think you got the wrong dude. And God's like, no, you're the guy. Go do it. And so God, through Moses, like he goes to Egypt and performs miraculous plagues and, and releases the grip of Pharaoh from God's people and sets God's people free miraculously, gloriously. And then, then once they leave Egypt, they're standing on the brink of the Red Sea. And then the, the nation of Egypt is behind them and, and they're coming to kill them. And, and Moses is like, what do we do? And he calls out to God and sees the glory of God part the Red Sea. And the nation of Israel parts through on dry ground. Amazing. Not only that, but, but they're being led with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud to give them shelter during the day. Can you believe it? Not only that, but the nation of Israel is experiencing manna and quail raining down from heaven to feed God's people. They complain saying, what, what have you done, Moses? Have you brought us to the desert to die of thirst? God calls out to Moses and Moses sees God's glory. God, God tells Moses, strike the rock and it'll water the people. And so Moses strikes the rock and not a little trickle, but rivers of water, enough water to water over a million people and their livestock. Can you believe it? Moses sees this with his own eyes. Not only so, but like the elders of Israel and Moses meet God on a mountain and they celebrate a meal in the presence of God. The Bible says that Moses talks to God face to face like a man talks to his friend. The whole nation of Israel, God tells Moses, consecrate the people because in three days I'm going to do something they've never seen before. And God reveals himself to the people, the nation of Israel, in a way that, that has never happened since. As, as the people consecrate themselves and, and all of a sudden this cloud begins to rest on Mount Sinai, and there's fire and there's flashes of lightning and the earth is shaking like this violent earthquake. And God speaks to his people in such a terrifying way that the nation of Israel is like, Moses, don't ever let God talk to us like that again. If, we, if he does, we're going to die. Moses saw God's glory time and time again. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, Moses could have asked God for anything. And what did he say? God, I just got one request. Can you show me more of your glory? I've tasted it a little bit. And God, I just want more of you. I just want to see you to a greater degree. I, I've seen your, yeah, you've done amazing things, but God, I know there's more. It creates this desire. God, we just want more of you. Once we get a taste of God's glory, we want to experience it more and more in our daily life. Jesus, before he went to the cross, he was praying, talking to the Father, and, and he wasn't just praying, God, let this cup pass from me. Here's his prayer in John 17, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you gave me because you love me before the creation of the world. It's God's desire to show you his glory because when you get a taste of it, when you see a glimpse of it, you just want more of it in your life. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, 
And all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne in heavenly glory. We celebrate Christmas because on Christmas, God, very God, emptied himself of his divine privilege and came in humility in the form of a baby. But you need to know when he comes again, he's not going to come in humility in the form of a, of a, of a weak baby that's reliant on his parents to, to provide for him and to care for him. He's going to come as a conquering king in heavenly glory with divine angels, not to give a message that his, of his arrival, but, but with divine angels with power power to do God's work and we'll see him. Everyone who's ever lived will behold him in heavenly glory. We will see it with our, with our own eyes. Interesting story in Acts chapter 7. Uh, there's a man named Stephen. He's not one of the apostles, but he's, he's a dude that just loves Jesus, got a taste of God's glory, and he's doing everything he can to help people find and follow Jesus. And so Stephen's pre- preaching everywhere he goes, and, and the religious leaders aren't real big on it, so they, they decide, hey, we're going to kill Stephen. And so the way they do it is stoning him. And so picking up rocks and like literally hurling rocks at this dude's head. And so while Stephen is being executed, the Bible says this in, in Acts 7.55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, let me ask you this. How awesome must the glory of God be that Stephen was more conscious of the glory of God that he was having stones, having rocks hurled at his head. In a moment of his execution, he wasn't focused on his, his executors. He, he saw the glory of God and said, man, this is more important than anything else happened in my life right now. It's amazing. And the more you taste God's glory, the more you want to see it. And once you taste God's glory, it never, never leaves you. It marks you. Peter James and John, they saw God's glory on this mountain known as the Mountain of Transfiguration. They saw, saw Jesus in his glorified state with Moses and Elijah. And Peter recounts this account in 2 Peter 1.16. He says, For we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from the Father. The voice of the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard the voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. It marked Peter. He says something I'll never forget. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see through a glass darkly. It's like almost like that stained glass up there. Like you could see objects, you could see forms, you could see shapes, but we can't see in, in great detail. Now, Paul says that's kind of our current state. We see through a glass darkly, but then there's coming a day, then face to face. Now we know in part, we don't know fully, but then we will know even as I am known. And in other words, just as God knows everything about you, you'll see God in all of his glory. Paul says we can't wait. We hope in the glory of God. What would we hope for? We hope to see his glory. But the second thing is also true. The second reality is that we rejoice in the hope of God's glory being revealed in us, in you, in me, not just beholding his glory, but having his glory revealed in us. There's coming a day when our salvation will be complete. We've been talking about this throughout our study of, of Romans, that there's really three parts to the salvation experience. Uh, one is justification that we've been, been talking about, where your sins are forgiven, righteousness has been credited, when you give them faith to believe. Justification, it takes place in your past, we could say. At the moment you believe, you're, you're justified. 
present tense, we experience salvation in, in this form of the word sanctification. It's really just striving to live life as Jesus lived, to live life on, on his terms, to practice the way of Jesus in our day-to-day life. And here's what I would just say to you too. If you're currently, if your sights, if your goal today is not to live life as Jesus lived, then you're not experiencing salvation to the degree that God would want you to. That's where the abundant life's found. When, when Jesus said, I've come to give you life, life to the fullest, where do we find that life? That life is found in the second part of the salvation experience of, of, of sanctification where we say, God, here's my life. Whatever you want from me, I'm in. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. It, it's it's, a, it's a, a line of faith where, where it requires great courageous faith. It's a daring adventure. It, it'll take you places you probably never anticipated going, but it's an adventure that you'll relish in and find joy in. Justification takes place in the past. Sanctification takes place in the present, but glorification is what we look forward to. A day when every vestige of the sinful nature will be removed. Romans 3.23 says this, for all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but implied here is that you are created for something that we haven't lived up for. You are created for glory and we've sinned and we've fallen short of that glory. You, we, were, we were created for much more than what we are currently experiencing. Man made in the image of God. Adam is placed in the, in the garden, a glorified state where he, he ruled, where he reigned, where he walked with God, and it was glorious. But then sin entered the picture and all was lost. But there's coming a day when we'll possess not only what Adam lost, but much, much more. Romans 8.30 says, those he justified, he also glorified. You say, how can I be sure that glorification, that I'm going to experience that? Well, here's the question. Have you experienced justification? Are you currently in this process of, of practicing the ways of Jesus through, through sanctification? All those are, are marks that you will experience this, this glorification. Those he justified, he also glorified. 1 John uh, 3.2 says, beloved... Now we are sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Are you kidding me? Like him? Like him? He's the king of kings. He's the, the Lord. Of, he's the ruler of all rulers. And the question is, who, who are the other kings? Who, who, who are the other rulers? If, if, if this world is, as we know, it's been removed and, and a new heaven, new earth's been established, who are the new kings? Who are the new rulers? Check this out. Romans 1.6 says, he has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm just saying there's coming a day where you're not only going to see the glory of God, but you're gonna experience the glory of God. You're gonna have the glory of God revealed in you and through you. Colossians 3, 4 says, and when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Do we celebrate that? Do we boast in that? Do we anchor our hope in that? Do we remember that? Do we relish in that? More than the 49ers third string quarterback pulling off an unprecedented win over the Dolphins. Do we glory in this? That's what Paul's talking about. You won't just watch it. You'll partake in it. You'll be part of it. 
How do we navigate challenges now? How do we navigate suffering now? Romans 8, 18 says, I consider our present suffering not worth being compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. I mean, no matter how destitute this life gets, we have a future glory that we meditate on, we think about, we marinate in, and it frames a perspective of current challenges that we face. Second Corinthians 3.18, so all of us who've had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Day to day, being changed into His glorious image. Do you think about that? Do you boast in it? Do you celebrate it? Do you have, uh, do you have confident anticipation of it? Do you have assurance that one day that will be yours. You'll be changed into his glorious image. Human beauty is temporary at best. All of us carry within ourselves the seeds of decay due to sin's corrupting nature in our physical bodies. Our bodies now suffer disease, viruses, various ailments. Parts of our body wear out. We experience pain and death, but there's coming a day when our physical bodies will be fully restored with eternal glory, never to wear out again. There's coming a day when every vestige of sin that currently contaminates our mind, our body, our relationships will be fully removed. It's hard to imagine it, but it's going to be glorious. What a glorious reality we look forward to. It's something worth talking about. It's something worth boasting about. It's something worth celebrating. John Bunyan, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, he, John Bunyan is one of the world's best-selling books of all time. And and in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, he writes an allegory about the Christian journey. The main character is a guy named Christian. And a guy comes alongside Christian on this path to his destination. He says, Christian, when do you feel like you're the strongest? When do you feel like you're in your most vigorous state? To which Christian replied, when I think about the place to which I'm going. There's something about recalibrating our hearts to the place to which we're going something about meditating on the glory of God that will be revealed to us, that revealed through us one day when we get to heaven that gives us strength, frames up perspective in our present like nothing else in this world can provide. When we think about our eternal dwelling, it strengthens us. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There's something about remembering, God, you're coming back for your kids. And yes, God, I'm so grateful to be one of your kids. But God, help me to live my life today in such a way that it brings you pleasure, that it brings you glory. God, you're going to change me into your image. But God, help me to reflect your image today. There's something about that framework that, that just recalibrates perspective in our present situation to have an eternal point of view. And for many of us, if we're honest, there's a lot of things that keep us awake at night that won't matter 100 years from now. And if it's eating or lunch and it won't matter 100 years from now, maybe we can let it go today and recalibrate our hope to something that will matter. And maybe if we're not boasting, 
rejoicing in that hope, maybe if we're not talking about it, if we're not reminding ourselves of it, perhaps, and it's easy to do in this season especially, maybe we're just focused on temporary things that don't really matter. And I would just encourage you and say that's not unique to you, that's not unique to our generation. Because Paul said this in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand, here's the invitation, think about things of heaven, not things of earth. I've heard people say you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. But I would just submit to you that's a lie from Satan himself. Because I've never seen anyone so heavenly minded that they didn't do any good on earth. Only people I've seen is people that are so heavenly minded that they transform earth. But our challenge is that we're so earthly minded that oftentimes we're of no heavenly good. And the invitation to you today is to recalibrate your perspective, to rejoice in the hope of glory, to, to remember that, that, that man, we've been given access by, by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand with preferential treatment. We stand with God's excessive kindness. We stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Justification means you have peace with God. The war is over. You have access to places that most people around you don't have access to. You have the hope of glory. And I pray those realities this Christmas season become more and more real to you. I pray that we take to heart what God's already done for us and we cherish this most precious gift that you've ever given. And when we open presents this Christmas, may we remember that we give presents because he's already given the ultimate gift. Let's pray.